All right. Uh, and then tomorrow's uh, Valentine's Day. Hope everybody's, anybody, anybody big Valentine's Day people? I, I got married in February, so for 30 years of marriage, haven't, haven't celebrated one Valentine's Day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Eleanor. Anyway, uh, I don't have to fight with the rest of you to get a dinner reservation or anything like that. We just stay at home and laugh at all, everybody else who's mad out there because it didn't work out like I thought. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, in light of it being Valentine's Day, it made me think back to the, uh, to the years when Eleanor and I weren't, Eleanor and I weren't married and uh, we did celebrate. The first, we, we started dating in the fall of, uh, of 1988. God, I'm old. I am so old, Bailey. Anyway, uh, uh, but we started dating and so that first Valentine's Day in 1989 was a big one, right? Uh, I didn't realize how big it was. Eleanor went all out. She got up really early. We went to this uh, private Christian college in Chicago uh, called Moody, and uh, uh, she went out early on uh, February 14th in Chicago, cold weather. She went down to this uh, diner that was frequented by taxi cab drivers, and so you know the food's good. And she got me a stack of pancakes. I still remember them. They were delicious. But she brought it back, gave it to my roommate, because uh, girls couldn't go up in the dorms. And so my roommate delivers me breakfast to bed. It's on a dining room tray that she stole from the dining hall. And there are, uh, don't, don't tell them. Anyway, uh, uh, and there are streamers with balloons on it. She's woven from construction paper, a placemat. Uh, uh, that is on the dining room tray, and she, she made me uh, a very, her own very own uh, homemade card, put lots of coupons in it. That's how we would, you know, we weren't uh, people of means, and so we would just, you know, here's a coupon for a kiss by Lake Michigan. I wore that one out. She was, you know, she just made a, a bad error. She didn't put an expiration date on that sucker, and so I just carried it, and every time we were by Lake Michigan, I was like, hey, uh, love kissing my wife. Anyway, um, I got her a card. Everybody say, boo. Yeah, it was lousy. So I, I figured out the next time we celebrated a Valentine's Day, I had to up my game. And so that summer of that February, uh, I got my first guitar, and I would sit in my dorm room and noodle around and write the rock songs that never became hits. And this is one of them. This was Eleanor's Valentine's song. And some of you are like, really, is he going to play it? Yeah, this is the only chance I ever get to play my songs. And you have to sit through it. Here we go. <laughs> Honestly, so far, you like it? It's okay? All right. <laughs> I guess I better get used to this. Better try and understand. See, I was kind of new to the love thing. I didn't understand everything about what was going on. I was uh, not used to being tied down. I keep looking at what I'll miss. That kind of is a line that expresses that in a different way, you know. Should I really be taking this off the market? But then I take you by the hand. And then I realize that I've no reasons left to give And I just thank God that you're mine and You're my prize through all the seasons that i lived and You're my forever Valentine Alright <laughs> 
Yeah, I kind of just, you know, explored my space there. I had a, a synth pop verse and I had a heavy metal verse. It was really great. No, I'm not, that's not true. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Fellas, if you sing that tomorrow, just credit me. Just credit me. It'll be online. You can just learn it by yourself. All right. Uh, <laughs> love me some romance. So grateful for the one that I'm in. I'm uh, grateful to be able to say that overall, you know, uh, They've been happy years. I always hear the joke. We've been married 30 years, 26, happily. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I've been blessed. I just have you know, a pretty great relationship with my wife. I know I'm sitting in front of a bunch of people. You can say that about yours. Um, you know, some of you have been married 10, 20, 30 years. If you've been married over 40 years, wave at me. Look at these people. They're crazy. Uh, about 50, anybody 50 years? Uh, way to go. Give it up for the people married over 50 years. Great. Uh, I don't know, is there someone married 60 years in here? We had one, one couple in the first service that was married 60 years. I don't see anybody. Wasn't that great? 60 years. They got married when they were seven. It was crazy. No, 60 years. It's just unbelievable. When God gives that kind of grace, that kind of blessing, it's just, we marvel at it. I was telling one couple after the first service, you know, they've been married 42 years. I'm like, you're a unicorn. Like, that doesn't happen, you know, as much. And, uh, um, so blessed by it. This past weekend, uh, one of our staff mem- uh, mates, uh, her name's Erica, uh, she got engaged to her fiance, Justin. Uh, they grew up at our church. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, I don't know if they're here, but yeah, yeah Erica and Justin. And, uh, you know, uh, Justin was in here with some of our other uh, staff people planning his whole ask. You know, it's a big thing. Now you got to get it on video. And he had this whole plan. Of course, it didn't work out like he thought because they never do. You know, she comes in too early. She's asking all these questions. He's like, just get out of here. I got, you know, but finally she asked, or he asked her and she said, yes. And on social media, what's she doing? All right. She's throwing the ring off and, and they're headed towards what many of us have experienced in life. But listen, here's the deal. Some of us are sitting in here and that is not the case. We got, uh, you know, covenanted, committed to the person that we're sitting next to, but uh, we're nodding and smiling and clapping for all the other people, but we know in our hearts that things aren't as they should be. It hasn't been the blessing that God can make it in your relationship. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to all of us. Certainly every one of us could be doing better. Testify, right? But some of us, uh, we need to really hear this. I want to, hopefully by the grace of God, uh, give you some new ideas, some different directions to go. Uh, as you seek to honor him with each other. Uh, Let's just establish some things at the beginning here. In a broken world, things break. Is everybody with me? Sin's kind of made a mess of stuff. The Bible tells us this in all kinds of ways and all sorts of places. Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, um, in John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, after telling his friends, hey, there's lots of great things that will bring peace to your life. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace, But then he says, but here's the deal. In the world, you will not have peace. You will have what? Tribulation. It's going to be a mess. But then he says these great words. I've preached them many times here over the years. But take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Isn't that great? Yeah, Jesus has overcome the mess that sin has brought the world. It's a past tense verb there. He says, all done. I have overcome. It's not that I'm waiting to get enough strength to overcome. If everything lines up, I will overcome. He's just just saying, hey, man, I know it looks bad, but I got you. I've got this. I've overcome. And so no matter what you face, 
I understand it, I can get you through it. I got a friend in my life uh, who's been here since I've been here, his name's Dave, he, he was at the ground floor of uh, writing some software that his company now sells to huge companies to help them with their billing. And, uh, and these companies will buy his software, this company's software, and they'll start using it, but they'll misappropriate it, they'll misapply it. They don't understand it, and so what do they do? They call Dave, and Dave goes to that company, and as the creator, the, the writer of this code, he says, no, you don't use it for that, you use it for this. And why don't you tell me the ways that you need this to work for you, and he tailors what he has created for this particular company to be able to use. As I think about Dave and his role with these companies, I think about our God. He has written the code for us. He understands us. He made us. And so he comes to our worlds, and where we think there is no hope, and, and it's just trouble and tribulation, he says to us through his word, I have overcome I understand you, and if you'll let me, and you'll work with me, and you'll quit pushing against me, we can fix this. I'm an overcomer. Huh. Paul makes it clear that this is true of marriages. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 28, uh, uh, that uh, after he's talked a little bit about being single or being married, talked about how, you know, I'd almost prefer you to be single. You'd have more time to, you know, be involved in ministry. But if you're going to get married, you know, that's fine too. He, he says it this way as he kind of rounds out his thinking. He says, but if, if you do marry, uh, marry, you have not sinned. Everybody who's married, whew, right? Dodged a bullet there, good. Uh, and and it's, uh, if you're betrothed as a woman, uh, you, you haven't sinned either. Yet those who marry, say this with me, will have what? Worldly troubles. Yeah, marriage is going to be hard at times. You're not going to understand each other. You're going to hurt each other. And then he says something really interesting. And listen, honestly, I'd spare you that. He's, again, saying to people who are on this side of marriage, you know, there's parts of this that, I mean, it's great, you know, the violins play and you frolic in the field, sure, but, uh, but there's hard parts. And I'd spare you that. I don't think he was too far off. The hard parts came about when sin entered the world. In Genesis chapter 3, the first man, the first woman, the first marriage, decides not God. We're not going to do what he says. The woman out of deception, the man out of deliberation, he knew better and still chose to eat the fruit. Bad Adam. But they get to the, the lineup. And God the Father is, is walking through and, and delivering the, the consequences for that choice. And he comes to the woman and he says this to her in verse 16 of Genesis 3. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. I don't know how it was going to be before sins, lady, but apparently having kids was just going to be like, whoop, and you're done. How great would that be, right? Like push the exit button and whoop, we're good. But now it's painful, sometimes life-threatening. Uh, it goes on and it says, in pain you shall bring forth children. And, and, and there he kind of expands it. He's not just talking about the actual physical birth. He's talking about bringing children up. Those kids are going to hurt you, disappoint you, uh, go away from the things that you've taught them. Mothers, fathers, happens, right? It's going to be hard. This whole family thing that was perfect without sin is going to be a mess with it. And then he goes to the marriage. He says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there's been all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, study given to this passage, and there's certainly lots of different ways can we, we can take it. But for the sake of time, can I just summarize this way? 
Ladies, your desires are going to be different than your husband's, and you're going to want your desires over his in a sinful world. Fellas, your desires are going to be different from your wife's, and you're going to want yours, and you're going to play the, the, the Bible trump card. I, I've been given dominion over you, and you're going to go to all the verses that say, I win. Ha! But you're going to have this constant butting of heads because you are no longer on the same page because of sin. And off we go. Sin makes a mess in our homes. I, I think before the fall, uh, we were always different. Man from woman, we were different. We were created for each other. Complementary angles, and here comes, that's what I'm trying to do here. You know, you have like a geometry problem and, and you know, there's the obtuse angle here. I don't know, I'm making this all up, but the acute angle over here kind of fits the obtuse angle. Is everybody with me? Yeah, but if you flip this piece over, now these things no longer fit, and that's what sin did. It flipped pieces over. We don't fit anymore. Now, if you're sitting next to your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend, fiance, whatever, if it's a stranger, don't do this. It'll freak them out, okay? But if you're sitting next to someone that you normally hold hands with, grab their hand like you normally hold hands. Just go ahead and grab it. Is everybody grabbing their hands? Okay? Anybody, anybody doing a mitten right now? Anybody mitten the hand holders? Who's mittens? Any mittens like this? We had a couple of mittens in the first service. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's a little weird, but it's not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. <laughs> Most of us do gloves. Anybody doing gloves right now? Okay. First time I held my wife's hand, uh, we figured out this is what fits. My hand's over the top, right? She kind of slides her little itty-bitty dainty fingers in between my sausages, and, and uh, we just kind of hold hands this way. And we've done, okay, you can let go. So I mean, if you want to keep holding on, go ahead. That's fine. If you want to keep holding on, it's fine. But that's how we hold hands. Has anybody ever like went, gone to shake somebody's hand and missed? You like slide up their arm and you're like, oh man, that's wrong. Or you thought they were going to do the bump and so now you know you got the turkey looking thing and 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 it's just wrong, right? It's it's awkward. It's embarrassing. It's the same thing when you when you go to grab your wife's hand sometime. You know, you're just walking along and all of a sudden you reach down and it's just you know she missed it by a couple fingers or something like that and you you, you and and you try to find the fit, right? And, and, and that's what God's word is teaching us. Sin made things not fit. It's like putting the wrong number in the line of the Sudoku puzzle or, or, or putting the wrong word for the answer to the crossword puzzle or trying to jam the puzzle piece that doesn't fit into that space just so you can keep moving on. If, if it doesn't fit, it's going to mess up the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Nothing's going to fit. And so you've got to understand that sin threw us off and God gives us what we need in his design and his code to get back to where we fit. So let's talk about that. Ephesians 5, verse 33. It says this. Uh, it's a summary of one of the uh, larger dealings in Scripture on marriage. Uh, it starts... Uh, uh, a few verses before where, where Paul says, everybody needs to submit to each other as unto the Lord. I think that's verse 21. And then it launches into uh, the, the woman's role in the marriage and how she submits to her husband uh, as unto the Lord. And then it goes to the husband's role. And it doesn't say submit, but it, it implies submit when it says that he is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And then it goes into some other things. I'm not going to take the time to exegete today. But then he summarizes so well here in verse 33 uh, the, the total of his ideas. He says, listen, however, let each one of you fellas love his wife as himself and let the wives see that they respect their husbands. Full stop. That's what he was trying to say. That's what has to happen. This is the code. 
This is the design that God has for successful relationships. See, we're different. Are you different from your spouse? You're different from everybody in the room, right? And sin has made you think that you're right in the ways that you're different. And it's made you preserve yourself over providing for them. And, and so uh, in, in my relationship with my wife, whom I love, when she asks me for a back rub, I just go, because <sighs> I don't like doing them. This is my idea of a back rub. Eh, eh, good? Is the stress out, babe? Can I go back to whatever I'm doing? No, Mark, you got to. And she's trying to direct me through it. I'm like, oh, geez. And I'm like, is it possible that there's some professionals out there who we could pay to do this? And there are, just so you know. And I gladly pay the money for her to go get these from a complete stranger. <laughs> rather than giving it up as her husband because I just don't like doing it. Yes, I am a jerk. Anyway, uh, but I'm just different. I think before the fall, I would have rubbed my wife's back all the time, every day until eternity came because that's what she would have wanted. It wouldn't have mattered to me. I'd just be like, yeah, it's all about you, babe. I'm like, but because we're different. When a woman says that uh, I have nothing to wear, she's saying I have nothing new to wear. When a husband says I have nothing to wear, He's worn his underwear, you know, backwards, forwards, inside out. They're all in the laundry now. I literally have nothing to wear. That's what he means, right? It's not new. It's just I'm out. We need to do some cleaning, all right? When a woman says, I have excess oil, she's talking about something that has to do with her facial, you know? When a man says, I have excess oil, he's spilt something in the garage. He needs some kitty letter to clean it up, right? We're just different. We could say the same things and mean something completely opposite. And so it is that we find ourselves in these worldly troubles that Paul announces in 1 Corinthians. And so it is that we need to bring what God's design requires to those situations. So that as we try to sort out our differences, we can hear each other uh, uh, compromise, uh, that comes chiefly when wives respect their husbands and husbands love their wives. Now, they both want love and respect, but they are wired up by God so that their chief desire as a husband is respect, so that the chief desire of a wife is love. This guy wrote a book on it. 2004, I got here, and uh, it came out that summer, and uh, it's a great book. It's, uh, you know, not unremarkably called Love and Respect. It should be shown behind me somewhere. If you haven't read it, I would read this. I'm going to summarize. I'm going to liberally borrow from and summarize a lot of the things that are in there. But he, uh, this guy, Dr. Uh, Emerson Egeriches, uh, sat down and he just read Ephesians 5.33 like we just did. And he's like, oh, there's something there. And he sussed it all out. And he said, you know what? I think most of the conflicts that harm marriages involve this, uh, you know, this depleted levels uh, of, of love and respect. The wife doesn't feel love, the husband doesn't feel respect, and they just go round and around and around in a crazy cycle of harm. Uh, he wanted to find out, so he, he asked a thousand guys this question. Uh, which is worse, to be disrespected or to be unloved? 83% of the men responded with, 
it's worse to be disrespected. Because we're all about respect. We want you to love us, but you want to know how you can show us best that you love us? Respect us. Uh, it, it shows up in the, in the shows that we watch. Anybody ever sat down with your significant other and said, what do you want to watch tonight? And, and she wants to watch something that is completely different from what you want to watch. Like as a guy, I want to sit down, I want to watch things blow up, I want to watch dudes fight, and I want to watch someone win. It could be in sports, it could be in a movie where there's a hero, but that's what I want to watch. Eleanor wants to watch things, you know, where people, um, you know, overcome and there's, there's feelings of, you know, like that 600-pound person, you know, lost weight and, uh, uh, you know, these people found each other and, and I just sit there and I like try to watch it and I just can't. I'm like, oh, just say no to pizza. That's, that's all we need to do here, right? And so here's what we've done to compromise. She gets the TV. I sit next to her on our little love seat that faces it and I grab some earbuds and this thing and I watch the game while we hold our hands correctly as she watches whatever she wants to watch, right? But we're different. And if we weren't understanding our differences, if we weren't uh, bringing you know, what God prescribes here in Ephesians 5.33 to those differences, we would be like, uh, often we are in our own relationship, but like so many other relationships that are in critical stages of their existence. And need to learn this their own good. I was uh, supposed to have Eleanor speak with me today. We forgot that her father-in-law was, my father-in-law, her father was flying back this morning. She had to go to the airport. But so I asked her yesterday morning on our walk, um, uh, you know, if you, if, if you can comb back through our 30 years, can you remember any time where this kind of thing has happened? She's like, any time. Uh, where do we start? And I said, well, let's go to the first year. And she said, okay, how about this one? And she reminded me of this situation that happened early in our marriage. Um, we got married, moved into this uh, uh, townhouse that we lived in as an apartment, and, uh, and settled in. Probably the first or second week that we were married, uh, I'm, an, I'm a night owl. Uh, historically, not so much anymore, but historically, I'd stay up until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and sleep five, six hours a night and then just go, right? And I liked it that way. It was just my rhythm. Eleanor has always been an early bird. She's always uh, gone to bed early, got up early. She's kind of trained me to do that now. But... Uh, uh, initially, that was not the case. So one of the first nights that we were married, we're sitting in this townhouse, and uh, at 10 o'clock, I just gotten cable, first time, my own place, right? And I'm about to sit down and watch Sports Center because that's what I like to do, right? And she's starting to head up the stairs so that she can go to bed. She says, "Aren't you coming to bed?" Okay, even that little phrase kind of assumes, right, that I stop doing what I enjoy doing and forego that and forego the next four hours, which I'm going to be awake for, and head upstairs and hang out with you. I'm already on the wrong side of this conversation. And so I'm like, well, no, I was just going to watch Sports Center. I'll be right up after. But she knew me well enough to mean, I'll see you at two, right? She's like, no, babe, just, you know, come up and, and you know, just, I'm going to go to bed and just snuggle and, and you know, gotta, gotta, gotta. And I'm like, did you not hear me? I'm going to watch ESPN. Things escalated. Till we got to the point where you get. Fine. Be that way. Whatever. And she trudges up the stairs, and I turn up the volume of Sports Center, right? Just to kind of. But 15 minutes later, what's happening down on the couch as I'm watching Sports Center? Guilt, shame, I'm a jerk. 
So 15 minutes into Sports Center, which I wanted to watch, I click it off, I throw the remote, I stomp up the stairs, I lay down in the bed, turn my back to her, throw the covers over me and say, there, right? Let's enjoy our night, shall we, right? Been there? And if I was sitting with this guy who wrote this book, he'd be, okay, he'd ask this question. This is one of his favorite questions to ask. What is the issue when the issue isn't the issue? And he's basically saying, hey, do you understand what was going on there? Because you thought it was bedtimes and ESPN. It absolutely wasn't. At some point in that conversation, he would have said to us, you felt disrespected, Mark, and so you were unloving in return to your wife. And because you felt unloved, Eleanor, you were disrespectful in how you dealt with your husband. Uh, it's called the crazy cycle. I forgot my spinner. Anybody ever seen a fidget spinner? You know, you can just kind of spin that thing and it spins in one direction for a long time. Oh, there it is. This sits on the coffee table in my office and people play with it constantly. But it, it's a, you know, it's just a spinner. It just spins. And, and, and this is how uh, Egerich describes the crazy cycle that I just, you know, revealed to you in that story. It, it's basically uh, the husband chooses not to love, so the wife chooses not to respect. So the husband doubles down and chooses increasingly with louder words and, and angrier, uh, you know, uh, thoughts to, to, to not love. And so the wife's like, oh, you haven't seen anything yet, buddy. Uh, th- this, here's the disrespect that you deserve. And it just spins and spins and spins and never stops. And they think it's about ESPN and bedtimes. But here's what happened in that story. I'm 22 years old. I've moved out of my house. I'm no longer living with my mother And so I'll go to bed whenever I want to. Isn't that funny? That's not what my wife was saying at all. But in my sin, that's what I heard. I'm going to control you tonight. You will not stay up past 10. You will go to bed when I go to bed. Oh, no, I won't. And I will continue to double down on this the more you push. Because for whatever reason, sin, I have chosen to feel disrespect in this situation rather than hear your loving request for me to spend some time with you. So she hears that, and she's like, he doesn't love me. He doesn't, he, I'm, not, I'm not more important than sports highlights? Really? And so it goes. Now later on, that year, we figured out, here's what needs to happen. I don't have to change my sleeping patterns. I just need to spend the half an hour that it takes my wife to fall asleep hanging out with her. I can go watch ESPN until morning. I don't, it doesn't matter. But he, that's called compromise. That's called leaning into each other and changing who you are for the sake of the one that you love. All right? So this crazy cycle visits us. It visits, fellas, when you say that you'll do something for your wife and then you don't do it. And you always wonder, why is she so fussed out about that? I'll do it Saturday. No, it doesn't, it's not that you didn't do it uh, on, on this particular day. It's that you said you would and then you found something that was more important than keeping your word to your wife, who should be your first priority and treasure. And she felt unloved. Hard for us to understand because that's not how that would 
settle with me and my friends. They'd just be like, oh, cool, next time. But with my bride, it's different. That's why forgetting special days is so hurtful. I'll remember our anniversary next year. No, dummy. On the day of days that you should remember your love for this woman, you didn't. And what that communicates to her is that you don't care. You don't care to remember. I learned this early. (laughs) You can't drive by a flower shop and think about giving your wife flowers and then proudly come home and announce that fact and think that it's going to have the same effect as if you got her the flowers. (laughs) Did that once, once. Hey, babe, I drove right by, you know that flower shop? It's just on the way home. I drove right by it, and as I'm driving by it, I was like, you know who would like some flowers? Eleanor, right? And I totally thought that, and now I'm home. What's for dinner? And she's like, why didn't you just go get them? Well, I don't know. And it wasn't that there was this requirement of flowers. It was you thought this much but I wasn't worth it for you to stop. Ladies, guys just don't like to be disrespected. My father-in-law has been, ta- in, in, has been in town for the last three or four weeks, and uh, we got him this like three-wheeler bike to like ride around. He's 89 years old, almost 90 years old. And uh, so he's, you know, he's not as spry as he used to be, but um, he can ride a three-wheeler bike. Now we live uh, off a road, Gorntoll Lake Road, that if you turn right, you can go on this nice scenic, mile-long bike ride and, and hardly see a car. It's a dead end. No one goes back there. Or you can go left and head towards 60 at the corner of 60 and Gorntoll Lake by out back there, and, and you can start heading down 60 past all some of, you know, a lot of times there's some of our homeless population that, you know, are a little bit off their meds and stuff like that. And so, you know, we're just, we're just like, hey, man, maybe don't go down there. Uh, my wife might have even said, Dad, don't ride the bike down there. Uh, an 89-year-old man hears don't. What's he going to do? You don't think, I, you think I'm so old I can't ride a bike down a state highway? That's exactly what he's going to do. And he's going to set you up. He's going to ask you as a son-in-law to take you on a, a, on a, you know, for a haircut. And on the way back from the haircut, he's going to be like, hey, where's the Methodist church? Because he's Methodist and he goes to the Methodist church, which is fine. And I was like, oh, it's right down there. I pointed to it and he's like, that's where I'm going. I'm going to ride all the way down 60, three and a half miles, all the way down 60 on this three-wheel bike and head back for no other reason than to say, I did it. Don't tell me I can't. He fell off his bike and had to go to the emergency room for six hours. But anyway, uh, he's fine. And I was kind of happy. A little. Right? Because that's how God teaches us our limitations and what we can and shouldn't do, right? But don't tell a guy that he can't. So ladies, when you, when you uh, get with your girlfriends at that dinner party and your husband's over talking with the fellas and, and they ask you how your three kids are and you go, three kids? You mean four. <laughs> I've been at that dinner party. I've been in that circle of friends as that dude hears his wife say that and I've watched the expression on his face. Now some guys might think that's hilarious with you, but other guys are like, yeah, that's the world I live in. And so they come to those 
you know, sensing that kind of, you know, I'm a child thing from you and, and, and you can't understand why they won't follow through. They won't do what they want. And so you nag them because that'll obviously work. Maybe he didn't hear me. Maybe I need to say it louder. Maybe I need to say it often. If I just tell him enough, he'll do it. But because he's in the frame of mind that he is, every time you come to him and say, when are you going to do this? When is this going to get done? When are you going to do this? He's hearing, I want to control you. I want to make you do what I want. You're stupid. You would have done this already. I shouldn't have to tell you. And that may not be what you're saying, ladies. But if we go into our sin modes as man and as woman, that's what we hear. So here's what has to happen. Does everybody want to know this crazy cycle? Every one of us get it. The best marriages find this thing every once in a while. Does everybody know how to get off? You know, it's like this ride. You're like looking at the, you know, the, the carny who's over there and he's on the, and you're just like, dude, I got to get off of this thing. And he's like, ah. You know, there's a way to get off of the crazy cycle. It's choices that you and I make. And I've made it really easy for you to remember. Everybody ready on the count of three? Meow like a cat. One, two, three. Meow. Eh, some of you didn't do it. That's hurtful. Every time I've seen a cat since I was a little kid, that's how, that, I just make that noise. I don't say there's a cat. I just go, meow. And Eleanor has been like, where, where, where's that? Where, where's the cat? I, I, every time you get on this crazy cycle, I want you to meow to yourself because I want you to remember the word cat because it stands for the three things that has to happen for you to be able to get off of the crazy cycle. C-A-T. The first one is confess. The first one's confess. You got to admit that what you're doing is not according to the code. It's not per God's design. Now some of you, I, I have these uh, counseling uh, sessions, people come in and they know full well that they are not doing this. And they feel completely justified. Oh, I'll love her when she's lovely, bro. I'll respect him when he does something respectable. And I'm like, are you listening to yourselves right now? You are in direct defiance of a command from your God in your marriage relationship. And, and you need to understand that your first stop in making this right is up, not this way. You need to confess to a God who told you how to do this that you have been unwilling to do it like he said. You gotta say these three words, and, and I'll tell you these. these. These three words and another set of three words, which I'm gonna get to in the next letter, are, are just as important as the words that we all think are the most important in a marriage relationship. I love you, certainly, important. But if you say, I love you, and never say, I was wrong, you're going to drown out those I love yous pretty fast. So confession is understanding I've offended God, maybe willfully. How about this? I've offended God's command for me unwittingly. I haven't meant to be disrespectful. I haven't meant to be unloving. I haven't sought to do those things, but in the choices that I've been making, I've been doing something that is contra God's best, contra his code, and it's been messing up my relationship. And this is the harder one for people because they're like, I didn't mean to. Look at me. It's called manslaughter. You can end someone else's life and not mean to. You're still going to jail. There's two kinds of sin, the sins that you commit and the things that you omit. And if you forget to do things out of ignorance or unwittingly, it doesn't mean that they're okay. They still harm. 
And even though you didn't know you were doing them, you need to say, listen, I had, honey, I had no idea. In fact, that might be the conversation that you have in the car on the way home. I had no idea that my choices were so hurtful to you. Here's what we normally do. Get over it. Suck it up, buttercup, right? You bend to me. That's sin talking. Confess. The next thing is apologize. You're like, aren't they the same? No. Confession is the realization I'm wrong. I am wrong. Apologizing is what you do with that wrong. You go to your God first and you say, I am sorry. That's the second phrase that makes I love you hearable. If you can't admit in your marriage that you are wrong, and if you can't say to your spouse, I am sorry, I can't help you. Because no amount of I love you is going to cover over the hurts and the harm that have come as a result of you doing this contra God's code. I, I, I tell couples this all the time. Marriage is a race to the sorry. It's a race to the sorry. Not the... Not to just smooth things over so we can go out to dinner tonight and not be angry. Sorry. Not the I don't mean it sorry. But the heartfelt, I'm in touch with who I am and the ways that I've failed. And it grieves me because I love you and I want you to know that I love you. I'm so sorry that these things have occurred. The last thing is this. You confess, you apologize, and then you turn. You know what my favorite phrase in counseling is? My favorite question is, how's that working for you? Because people will tell me what they're doing, and I'll be like, all right, how's that been working for you? Well, that's why I'm here, Mark. It hasn't. Good, we both agree. Now let's talk about what has to change. Do you want to change? Huge question. Husbands and wives, do you want to change? Do you want to be better? We're talking about a better family. You want to be better? You want to head in the direction of God's design for you? Because if you don't want to, I can stand up here and talk for another three hours. It's not going to make a difference in your life. You've got to want what's better. You have to be willing to turn. Turn away from yourself. That's what repentance is. It's admitting I'm wrong, saying sorry for I'm wrong, and then heading the other way so that I can be right according to God's standard. Then you can move on to what Egerich describes, and please read the book, as the energizing cycle. If, if everything's crazy because you uh, have been either intentionally or unintentionally failing as, as a husband to love your wife or as a wife to respect your husband. If everything's crazy, the thing that stops it is meow. Cat, confess, apologize. And then the turn starts the cycle the other way because as husbands figure out how they can best love their wives, we don't even have time to have to start in that, but there's a certain way your wife feels most loved. Figure that out and give that to her. Then the wife will be prone to respecting and esteeming her husband because she's getting what she needs. Now I can give him what he needs and then he'll give me more of what I need and then I'll give him more of what he needs and all of a sudden this marriage is different because we've changed the course, turned away from what harms it and toward what brings it good.
There's one more cycle. It's called the rewarded cycle. Crazy, all of us deal with it. Our hope is to live according to God's code so we can experience the energy that that can bring our marriage. But here's the deal. There's some of us in here, you can do everything right and the other person still won't change. You can, you could uh, take everything that we've been talking about from God's word and be like, that's what's missing. And you go and as a husband, you seek to love your wife and she still uh, doesn't respect you and doesn't give you what you need in the relationship. As a wife, you can go uh, and you can seek to just respect and honor him, but he, he doesn't change. Everybody, can I look at Ephesians 5.33 one more time? Can you just throw it up there for me real quick? Yeah. It says this, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let each wife see that she respects her husband. Does anybody see like an asterisk by any of those commands? Because there's asterisks in like the things that we agreed to, right? It's called the small print. It's down at the bottom. When we say that the uh, first six months are free, what we really mean is you're going to sign up for the next three years and you're going to end up paying for those first six months with everything that you pay on the back end. And that's down here in the small print. That's what asterisks do. They basically qualify the statements. If you read your Bibles, there's no asterisks in your Bibles. When it says, husbands, to love your wives as you love yourself, to love your wives as Christ loves the church, there's no like, as long as she's lovely, as long as she's doing the part that she's supposed to do. It's just what you're doing if you're following God. Wives, there's no, and some of you are like, well, Mark, what, am I just supposed to be a doormat? No. Truth and love. If he's not respectable, tell him he's not respectable in a respectable way. Speak. Don't just be a martyr. But understand that if he never changes, and I'm talking to the couples who are in critical condition right now, because you're wondering, how do I get out of this? I'm here to tell you as your pastor, the Bible allows for marriage to end because of infidelity, a sexual relationship with someone else, or if that person that you're married to is a non-Christian and they walk away. Now we can argue about some other things. Certainly if you're being abused and stuff like that, get some space. But here's the world's uh, ethic on marriage. If I don't like it, I'm out. That's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to persevere. We've been called to obedience even if it doesn't bring results. This is varsity Christ following. And so here's what I'm telling you. Some of you, you're wondering, man, am I supposed to be in this marriage? The probable answer is yes. Unless those qualifications are in place, the probable answer is yes. Then there might be some separations and some counselings and certainly some different things that need to happen, but you need to stay. You need to figure this out. Certainly if you've been doing it contra code against the design, you need to start complying to what God has for you and trying to honor them there. Now listen, we got pastors and counselors, we got prayer partners. We wanna be as, as big a help to you as we possibly can. I recognize it's gonna be roll up your sleeves time, try to figure this stuff out. But the end game for all who follow Christ is honor him first with whoever he's given me. So if it's my spouse, I honor you God by obeying you regardless of what he's doing or she's doing. If it's my kids, I honor you God regardless of what they're doing. If it's my boss, I honor you, God, in that relationship at work. If it's my friends, I honor you, God, and I, I bring you to these relationships so that you are glorified through me in these friendships. 
And that's what I wanted to share with you today. If you're on the crazy cycle, yeah, figure it out. By the grace of God, he'll give you the strength. Isn't that great? Let's go back to what we started with. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Stand with me as we pray. Now, there's couples in here. I look at them every week. I know they love each other. They're not perfect, but you have given them your grace in understanding their design. Uh, they are doing their best in providing that for each other, and you are blessing them as a result. Uh, I pray that uh, as those couples walk out this door today, they wouldn't just kind of rest on their laurels. They'd you know, have great conversations about how they can be even more loving and more respectful to each other, and their uh, you know, great relationships uh, can be even better. I know there's couples in here who uh, I've been just reading their mail. I've been talking about the things uh, that are happening in their world. They have constantly been on this crazy cycle and haven't really understood how to get off. Would you grant them the grace, the strength in your grace to confess where they've been wrong instead of pointing their finger at the other person, to apologize for what's been wrong, and then to turn. And even if the other person doesn't come along, help the individuals who are in relationships in this room to choose you to choose your design, to choose glorifying you over satisfying self. And then, God, would you work in the hearts of their spouses uh, who are not playing ball, uh, lead them to repentance. And grant in this room uh, marriages, families, relationships um, that have your best, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you want to talk, I'll be up here. Peace.